Having trouble staffing up? You're not alone. Our industry is facing an unprecedented labor shortage, and tech will play a central role in solving that problem. Yelp Kiosk was built in 2018 for restaurants who couldn't afford to pay a dedicated host. In 2021, Yelp Kiosk is supporting restaurants that want to do more with less. By adding Kiosk, your host is no longer trapped behind the host stand, enabling them to assist in all front-of-house operations. Learn more about how Kiosk can help your restaurant at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash kiosk. Now here we go. The fact that we had outdoor cafes all year and full, all year long, our outdoor cafes were full. I mean, we had heat lamps and propanes. That to me just showed you that there's so much more of an opening and people have so much more of an acceptance. There's just so much more we can do. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up on the house. How do we overcome the obstacles in our life? Rarely do we succeed by holding our ground. To overcome, we must push forward. That forward march can look different for each of us. For serial restaurateur Victoria Freeman, it looks like opening another restaurant. Today we discuss how her restaurant group managed to survive the pandemic and how they intend to come back stronger than ever in 2021. It really wasn't until my very early 30s that I was like, I got offered an opportunity to open a coffee bar, which was a coffee bar that was on Broom Street in an underground space. And it was owned by someone named Suzanne Vega, who had a one hit wonder, my name is Ricky. <laughs> and she left the coffee space and someone I know owned the building. And he's like, let's do the coffee bar. I said, okay, I was long, such a long story how I got there. But I said, yeah, why not? Let's try this. I didn't know what I was doing. I had come back from a long trip to Africa and was lost. So I'm like, okay, let's do the coffee bar. Why not? It turned into a restaurant while we were building it. He was like, let's just do a restaurant. And it became my very first restaurant, which was Vicks. And that I met my husband there who we hired as a chef. I always say, just hire a husband if all else fails. (laughs) And it was that that really solidified it. Even though as long as I'd worked in restaurants, I really wasn't ready to open a restaurant. It was ridiculously huge success. I think because it was half underground and it was the first time ever that someone, it was really my partner, not me that designed it, but that it had like old mismatched furniture and mismatched silverware and mismatched plateware. And Mark, my husband was the chef. So the food was really good. And it was like, you couldn't see it really from the street and all these crazy factors that weren't meant to be that interesting (laughs) were interesting. And it just was like, every movie star model, everything we didn't know. We were so surprised, but I really had never run a restaurant and never done financials and never done any of those things. So again, it was sort of almost me mimicking her, except for that I had worked in restaurants for 10 years, more 15 years at that point. But you know what I mean? But it was, I always say that restaurant had to close because my head would be so big that it would explode. Because I just was like, oh, this restaurant thing, it's so easy. It's so great. You open this place, look at all these fabulous people. This is so much fun. And luckily, there's nothing like really bringing your ego down than having a restaurant that closes in its first year. <laughs> really, that will really do it for you. And that is a whole other long story that I'm not going to get into. But it really 
solidified and it didn't close because it wasn't busy. It was very busy, but it really made me want to be in the restaurant business. And then I went and worked for a big restaurant company called Arc Restaurants. And really that's how I learned. I thought I had what it took to open good restaurants. I just didn't know how to, I didn't know the business side of the restaurant and I learned it there. And let's talk about that, because I think that that's the education that so many of us desperately need. What did you learn there formally? Was it how to control cost, how to increase revenue, marketing, logistics, hiring? I say I learned everything. But here's the thing. For the first time ever, like they were amazing to me. And I always felt like I got lucky because the project I got was called Columbus Bakery. And it was in the Upper West Side. And the only reason I took it, because I felt like it was the witness protection program after the humiliation of losing my restaurant. So I went and worked up there and Jonathan Waxman was the executive chef of the company. He's the one who brought me there and they gave me ultimate freedom, like create, do what you want. I worked with some of the best bakers in the United States. I mean, I just had a great time, but here's the thing I'm going to say. So while I got to be creative... Also, the greatest thing ever was that every single week, I think my meeting was on Thursday, if I can remember that many years, I had to go to the corporate office and we had to, in a weird way, they didn't even talk about sales or you made the place beautiful and you sold great things. It was numbers, numbers, numbers. So we had to get a P&L once a week and go down line by line by line on the P&L. Why did you spend this? Why did you do this? This is supposed to be four and a half percent. It's five percent. And It was not in a punishing way. I mean, they were really great, but you just had to go every single week and talk dry numbers. And I needed that desperately because I just was like, really want to deal with that part, (laughs) get rid of that part. And it was so great that that just wasn't an option. I can imagine. Again, I think that that's where most of us struggle. Were there tactics or techniques that you felt like they use that you implemented in your own businesses? Weekly P&L sessions. Yes, I feel there was that. And I will say, I mean, really truth. I told you when I started this, I'm nothing but candid. I still had to learn the hard way. I still wasn't after I agreed to work there for four months and I was there for four years. Now they let me keep looking for my own restaurant space and I sort of had all this freedom, but I was there for four years. And after all of that, when I still opened my restaurant, I still needed to be more in line with the numbers and everything. I mean, I was so much better. I was much better than the first time, but it was still like, there's still been people along the way that have helped me. And there was little nudges like, I'm sorry, how much are you paying the dishwashers? That's nice. You're not going to have a restaurant. You know what I mean? Like there was still nudging that went along, but that I was in such a much better place. Gender is a difficult topic. I've done over a hundred episodes and I've yet to ask any man that I've interviewed on the show how gender has informed their experience in the industry. But I also think it's a mistake to not recognize that the road through the industry is more difficult when you're not born a man or white. And I'm curious to know what that experience has been like for you as you climb through the ranks and you establish your place within the industry. Did gender play a role? And if so, how? I think this is not that popular of a response that I'm going to give you, but I actually did not feel that it did. Now, I will say this about me. I was raised by hippie, hippie, dippy parents in the West Village of New York. So I was very much raised not thinking about gender, not thinking. My mother never, ever 
talked about when I got married and I can't wait for your wedding day and like nothing. We never talked about weddings, marriage, husband. I mean, I think she probably hoped I'd find someone to go through life with man, woman, dog, cat. I don't know. So I was in a bit of a bubble growing up in the West Village. Like I didn't know that it meant anything that I was not a man, you know, to go into the business. And I truthfully have not found it to be at all of a hindrance. I haven't found it to be helpful. There are a lot of women that work in my company and I'm constantly being told how great that is and the fact that you promote women and that all these kind of things in women. And I actually find it kind of insulting. I always say because I hire who's best. I don't go, well, you're not as good, but you're a woman and I'm going to give you the chance. I'm not saying that's good of me. (laughs) I probably should give more, you know what I mean? Be more thinking of that, but I hire who's best. And if there's a lot of women, that's who came at that moment. If someone came and they were a man and they were better, hire them. How many locations does the Bowery Restaurant Group have at the moment? Well, we have four open and we're about to open Chouquette in Chelsea, which we were supposed to open. I think it was either the day or the day after the shutdown. So we had staff, we had everything. Now, was the plan always to grow big and to have multiple locations? No, (laughs) it wasn't. I've never been that person that says, we're going to open a new spot every year. I never said, I want a conglomerate, an empire, or whatever, nothing. The plan was to open one and be able to live off of that. And the first one that we opened, which was called Five Points, which was the one that we had that restaurant for 18 years. And after about five years, maybe, I started to get itchy to do something else. And there was a couple of reasons. One is there was just more that we wanted to do that couldn't fit in this small space. My husband, Mark, is really passionate about sustainability and working with the farms. And we couldn't butcher there. There was no room. There were so many things that we couldn't do. And that's part of what really made us want to grow. But also, in all honesty, there was me, Mark, and we have another partner. And we were all living off of our salaries from this one restaurant, and I had two kids. So we'd have a bad week. And I was like, Oh, my God, we're going under We to feed our kids. Like, Mm -hmm. there was so much pressure in having one restaurant. It just felt overwhelming. I mean, it wasn't the number one reason to do another one. The number one reason was because there's all these things we wanted to do and couldn't do in that space. And that's really the reason. But there's a lot of pressure if you've ever done it or anyone's ever done it in having one restaurant, you having your whole income and your whole life be one restaurant. You know, in entrepreneurial circles, they talk about, is this a lifestyle business? Does this business exist to support your lifestyle? Or is it something that you're working on more than working in? As you grew from one to two and two to three, how did your day to day change? To this day, I'm still working on this. Turns out, I didn't know this, but I'm a control freak. So I I mean, when I had five points, I knew 90% of the guests. I had like a personal relationship with every server, knew every dishwasher, knew everybody, knew their family, their kids. Like I would see something that I didn't like. I could fix it right away because I was there. And Cookshop was the next restaurant that we opened and changed everything, changed my whole life, changed everything. But I had... Over the years, and believe it or not, this year, more than any other year, I've had to let go a lot of the day-to-day 
stuff and really concentrate on the bigger picture stuff instead of, I need this plant for this and I need this. Like I have to let go of it. And to the point where we had to have someone help with us partners, we called it going in our lanes, but we were in each other's lanes and the lanes weren't divided. I can't even tell you why. I have no idea why. But going from four to five restaurants and having nothing to do with a pandemic was the hardest thing I've ever done. I don't know why it was harder than one to two, two to three. This to five has been the most difficult and the most learning and the most growing and the most us having to let go of having to be in everything. We have the greatest partners in the world, but we had to have like family counseling and they had to right. go, this is your job. Like we had to go and now it's just an endless joke. Like something will come up and I'm like, not my lane. That's your lane. We had to learn how you can't control and do everything. The worst part of it and the reason we even really focused on it as hard as we did is we were driving our staff crazy because they would get one thing from one person, another thing from another person. They thought this was being done. I thought someone else was doing it. I mean, it wasn't working. And they even joke with us about our lanes. Now, if we were to look back, I'm curious to get your opinion on this. And I have my own as we scaled from one to two and then from two to three in different tiers of dining. But I'm curious to know, do you feel like the lessons that you've learned in terms of staying in your own lane, working on the business instead of in the business, all of those lessons that you use today with five locations, would that have served you well when you only had one location? Absolutely. I think it would have served me well because just being who I am, I drove myself crazy. I think I probably drove other people crazy. For better or worse, I couldn't let go. And when I say let go, it doesn't mean that I don't want everything to be the way I want it and great. You know what I mean? It's not like I'm just going, now I don't just go, oh, well, this is dirty and this is whatever. I don't care. That's not what I'm talking about. It's just, yes, I think it would have helped me. And I think it would have been good for all of us. For sure. When I talk privately to friends about my experience as an owner and an operator, one of the things that I, I think I was most guilty of over the years was being lazy and lazy in a non-traditional sense in the way that it was a lot easier to fix other people's problems than it was to look at like the foundational aspects of the business that needed to be worked on, not worked in. That it would be about running down to the scullery and washing a few dishes and then touching a few tables. And I would prioritize that over social media strategy, our latest HR initiatives. And it's unfortunate that that's the case, but I feel like that's a huge hurdle for so many of us. Absolutely. It's been a huge hurdle. It was a huge hurdle for me. I mean, I can't even tell you, it wasn't that many years ago that I was still doing a shift or two of maitre d'ing at Cookshop. Or someone would call in sick and I'm like, okay, I'll go in and do it. I'll maitre d' that night. And because partially because I loved it. I think everyone in the restaurant business has their comfort place. And mine was at the front door. Loved talking to the guests, loved figuring out where's everybody going to go? How are we going to do this? And it took a long time for me to go. Like, it was so hard to say no. That's what I would say. Like, nope, I am not coming in. Figure it out. Because the problem with it wasn't so much. I loved the maitre d'ing, but it's exhausting. It's tiring. I wasn't doing other things I was supposed to be doing because that was so easy and comfortable for me. I'd much rather have done that than work on an HR issue or whatever was going on. Right. That was my comfy, happy place. You know what I mean? So I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. 
And it's interesting because we have a director of operations who's been with us for a while now. And as we're growing, I'm finding myself having to tell her the same things. Like, no, you cannot be a manager for a day when someone has to, you know, I mean, listen, every now and then there's something, someone has a family emergency or something. And yes, she has to go in. And even still, since the pandemic, there's been a couple of times where I've had to run a shift, which is humorous at this point. I feel bad for everybody else. <laughs> but, but it's been funny to now be saying this to somebody else. Like, tell them, no, try to figure it out. Because it's, I find her being stuck in all these things and not getting the stuff that needs to get done for her. Well, and the truth is, yes, it takes much longer to teach someone else how to do something than it does to do it yourself. But teaching someone else how to do it will pay dividends over time, whereas doing it yourself, it's a Band-Aid. It's a stopgap. Now, we talk about all of these lessons learned over the course of many years, especially over the last year with the pandemic. As an industry, I think we've done a great job of creating community within the four walls of our restaurant. And I think we've done a great job throughout the pandemic of extending that community beyond the four walls of our restaurants to the industry at large. And I know that you were really active in the New York community in offering advice and best practices as you figured things out. Can you talk to me about what that experience was like, what you taught others and what you learned from other folks? I mean, I think that, yeah, there's definitely people like ask me for advice. You know, the hardest thing about this for me was sometimes taking my own advice on top of everybody else's. But when the pandemic first happened and we were first wearing quarantine. I cannot tell you the amount of people that told me all the restaurants in New York are going to close. 10% will stay open and it will be the big guys. Everybody else is going to, I mean, no one knew what a PPP was or a, you know, like it was just a different time. And I remember the horrible moment of sitting there in quarantine, looking at my husband going, we actually don't know how to do anything else. So what would we do if all of our restaurants close and we're done? What are we going to do? Because I can't imagine working in an office. I'm not even a great writer. I'm not that great on the computer. What happens? But what I had to take, I finally told everyone to stop telling me that. I don't know that it won't happen, but let's just, just stop telling me that. But what I had to sort of do was with hopefully work with as many people as I could as we're in a day to day. Just take today. Just do today. Figure out today. We can try, especially because for so long, we didn't know what was going to happen, right? You know what's happened next week, next month. You know, it was the numbers going up, the numbers going down, we're inside, we're outside, we're upside down. So to sit here and try to figure it out. And I think there are people who figured it out, like all those people who, I don't know, there seems to be people who I guess figured it out, but it was more taking it on the smaller end for a part of it. But I'll tell you one thing that really helped. I was part of a little restaurant group that we would have a once a week Zoom meeting. And a couple of them were from bigger restaurant groups in me and some one had one restaurant in Brooklyn. I think there was seven of us. And that was incredibly helpful because I didn't think it was anyone giving anyone advice, but it was just sitting in a zoom with someone going, what are you guys doing about this? What are you guys feeling about this? Being in even that small of a community was so helpful for me. When I look back over my career, I see that there were only a few key decisions that directly resulted in the success I've experienced throughout my career, whether it was hiring the right chef, choosing the right location, asking the right question to the right person in the right moment. 
that I can look back on these like definitive moments in my life and say, that was a turning point. That was a great decision or a terrible decision. And it's led me to where I am today. Do you have any definitive decisions like that when you look back on the landscape of your life? My, you mean my restaurant life or my whole entire life? <laughs> my, I mean, we could go with either. Right. My restaurant life, really, it was doing cook shop. And for a million different reasons. One was I did not want to see this space. Mark kept saying to me, there's a space on 20th and 10th. At the time, there was no High Line. There was no residential west of 10th Avenue. To me, it was no man's land. And we were already on Great Jones Street, which at the time wasn't exactly centrally located either. So I wanted to be on a big, busy street in the middle of everything. I just didn't want to be. And I just said no so many times. It's ridiculous. And we started working on another project for a whole year that fell through. And you know, in life, it's going to be two big lessons. One is, anyway, if this project we were going to a small little West Village restaurant that I somehow felt passionate about. I grew up in the West Village. I think I just wanted to do something in the West Village. And after a year of struggle to make this thing happen, to the grindstone, make it happen, it fell apart. And we had a lease and everything going and they changed the whole deal. And I just went, enough. I always say these things are like relationships. You know, when you finally go, okay, enough. Sometimes it takes a lot of a beating before you say enough. And then this was enough. And the very next day, Mark said, now will you go look at this space on 20th and 10th? It'd been open, I think it'd been empty for three years. And I kid you not, I walked into cook shop. For us, it seemed like the hugest space ever. Like, I mean, now I look at it, but I thought it was a monster. And I don't know what happened, but I walked in and just halfway into the main dining room, I said, this is it. We called the broker and we took it that day. It didn't even go downstairs. I didn't see all of it. Something hit me like a ton of bricks. And I went, this is the space. I didn't even know what we were going to, like, it wasn't like I pictured the tables, the chairs. I didn't even know Chelsea that well then, even though I grew up here. You know what I mean? And 10th Avenue was like, I don't know. It just seemed like such a no man's land to me. And I would have an entirely different life if I'd taken that little West Village 60 seat restaurant. I don't know what I was thinking, but it had to be pulled away from me almost. I say this about every guy that ever dumped me, thank God, because I assume some of them I just couldn't dump. So I was like, thank God they ended up dumping me. And I think that it sounds corny. But if you can stop and listen and hear and see, instead of just, sometimes we're just programmed to fight, 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 do it, do it, get it done, get it done, fight. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm not saying, believe me, there's been many times where we've had to fight and struggle. And I'm not saying that it all goes easy if you pick the right thing, but somehow I was open enough to listen to something that made me take that. Oh, I'm a huge believer. I think there are little signs everywhere. And I think that if we have the right intention and an open mind and the right amount of focus, I think it's amazing what can manifest from that, what the universe will provide when we're ready to receive it, which I know makes me sound like a total hippie. And everyone listening no, I feel is like, exactly what the same a creep. Way. But it is 100% <laughs> the truth. That I'm a kindred creep. Yeah. See, look, there we go. I think that so much of that came out of the pandemic. When I look at my own life, the goal was to open one and then two and then three and then four and then five restaurants. And I never really stopped to think, is that what I want to keep doing? What does the future actually hold for me? What possibilities are out there? I was just so 
deadlocked into this singular focus and into this singular path, believing that with every new restaurant, I would increase my wealth and my reach and my credibility within the industry. And your happiness, right? Yeah, oh, for I don't sure. Know, somehow you think, if I just have one more, I'll be happier. <laughs> right, absolutely. Because more restaurants always translates directly to more happiness. Directly. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you that's definitely not necessarily true. <laughs> right. Well, and then the pandemic hit and like, it was like a forced stop. It was like a forced pause for all of us. And I think especially in our industry, there were countless aha moments over the last year plus. I think that there's so many lessons that I'm hoping to move forward with. And I think you are in just an absolutely fascinating position. You're about to open Chouquette and... I'm curious to know, like, what's changed? Has the definition of success changed? When you look at this restaurant, how are your goals and aspirations adjusted because of a global pandemic? I'll tell you bigger picture for all the restaurants first. So I think the restaurant industry was broken way before the pandemic. The pandemic to me shined a light on so many things that were broken forget about our environment. And when I first heard that you could see fish in the canals of Venice, I was like, who knew that you could ever see a fish in a canal? You know what I mean? Like, but in the restaurant industry, I think that there was definite huge inequality in the back and the front of the house. Now, in saying that, it wasn't that we paid this much more and this before. Actually, we paid the back of the house way more than we paid the front of the house. But because of tipping and everything else, the front of the house made more. Now, I'm not an anti-tipper. I'm not against tipping. For me, who was a waitress for many, many, many years, loved the entrepreneurial spirit of it. I love that if I worked more, to me, I always had a goal. I'm going to Paris. I'm doing this. I'm going to work a double. I'm going to, you know what I mean? Like, I love that. You know, everybody would be like, it'd be closing time. They're like, I don't want to take the last tables. I'm like, bring them on. I'll take them. Because I knew that I had goals and I love the entrepreneurship that if I'm a better server and I'm a nicer server and I do this, that it's, I have some control over my income. And I love that. But I think that being said, the bottom line in restaurants is so small. I know everybody thinks that they hear numbers and what we do a year and all that stuff and think it's just like the money's just pouring, rolling. They look at a dish and go, $30 for that salmon. I went to the grocery store and bought it for six. There's such a discrepancy on if they could see our P&Ls, they'd be, I'm convinced everybody would be gobsmacked. But in saying that, I think that, well, there's two things. So that was one big thing is I think was broke. I also think that there was this broken thought that you just work a million hours, right? People, chefs, managers, owners, Everybody is expected to work a million hours. Life should come second and that you just work, 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 work all the time and put all your focus into it. And I used to always say it's almost like being in the army. One, you don't complain. You mop the floors. You do this. You do that. And that is this mentality of working in restaurants that somehow you just shut up, put your foot to the grindstone and work and work and work. And I think that has to change. In saying this, with me saying all of this stuff, right now, we came back really, really with the intention and purpose of making this happen. We wanted to see if we could get everybody on like 42 hours. And, you know, we had all these big lofty goals. 
And I don't know if the outside world knows all of this, but there's real staffing issues right now. And we're all still working. (laughs) So I haven't quite got the goal that I want to get. I do insist. I know this is going to sound crazy outside world. Like we insist that everybody has two days off in a row and all these things. Sometimes <laughs> when you say these things to people who don't oh, yeah. outside the industry, people are like, I don't understand what you're saying. What do these right. words mean? And so there's all these different things. But I think that to me, I hope so much. And my goal for restaurants is that they do move in this direction with a more equal pay from front of the house. And that there is definite quality of life and it's not shunned upon. If you want quality of life, it shouldn't be looked upon as there's something wrong with you. Like when all this millennials were coming about, we were like reading things and it was always like, they're so lazy. They're so, they don't want to work. They don't want to do this. And one of my partners said, no, they're just way smarter than us and have their, they, what's the word I'm looking for, but their priorities are better than our priorities. My hope is that some of this in the restaurant business, we should be able to have a business. Everybody should work hard. We should all make money. And it shouldn't have to be about giving up your life. I couldn't agree with you more. And on that note, I'm curious to know if the new restaurant looks different or works different. Are there new technological advances that you guys are using to streamline operations? Are there new efficiencies that you're employing that you learned through the pandemic? Here's the funny part of this restaurant. So we built a restaurant, think about this, for when we built this restaurant, to be tight, community. We wanted it so that it's kind of hard to explain, but there's a big, huge counter all around the kitchen. And we wanted you to be really close to your neighbor and talk to your neighbor and talk to the chef and talk to the cook. And the cook was like, we wanted the guests to go, oh, what's that dish? And the cook to go, Oh, that's lamb kebab. Here, let me give you a little taste of the lamb kebab, like community and sharing. And it was going to be the aisle that we put that the waiters go was a little bit tight. And, and it was just going to be this tight little, and it's like the worst pandemic restaurant ever to open. It seemed great at the time. And then we were like, we need six feet of distancing. We're like, Oh, well, we can have about three tables, but (laughs) so that's sort of a funny thing because it's a bit different now. But what we really have tried hard to do, and we'll see, I hate to almost say it, to be quite honest to you, because I don't know that we're going to get it. But the hope was that everybody does everything. I don't mean the kitchen, but like the waiters were going to take turns being a food runner, that we were going to have one person that restocked everything, but everybody else was going to bust their own tables. I didn't want it to have so many different levels, being like there's a busboy and there's this and there's that. Mm-hmm. Not sure we're going to obtain it right now in this environment, but we're still working on that because that's really was the goal that it was less different. I mean, if legally, I don't know if the rest of the world knows this or cares about this, but legally, we are not allowed to share tips with the kitchen. There's all these legal stuff. Since I do believe in tipping, I would like to be able to share that and figure out a way to do it that it was more equitable. And we've been working on another plan that I have, but it's not set that I think will help that. Sorry. (laughs) We did this maybe a couple of weeks from now, but I have some ideas that I think will help that. I don't know if guests like it as much, but we are going to go to all handheld computers, uh, point of sales, because 
We want everyone to be with the guest. We want them not to be waiting in line to use a computer. Or I don't think anyone realizes how much time is spent going, great, you want two glasses of wine and two kebabs. Then you go back and then you find the computer. Then you order the, it's ordered, it's done. And hopefully they can have more guest facing time instead of more time doing things that don't really matter. So we'll see how that goes. I know that gives it possibly a bit of a, casual feeling that people are going to have to get used to. I mean, there are people doing it, but it's not really done that much in a not fast casual restaurant. (laughs) It's an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to offer? I think the big surprise to me right now is there's actually more business than we can do because of some staffing issues, which everybody knows. But I feel really positive about the restaurant industry and more excited about it than I have in a long time, because I think that there's so much opportunity for things like even more than ever for sourcing and supporting and supporting your local farmers and so many more ways that we can do things that are better for the environment. So many ways in which we can do things that are even better for the guest. And I think there's going to be a restaurant renaissance. There's been a bit of a stodginess in it, and it's all being done. It has always been, you do it A, B, C, D, and you get E. I think there's many opportunities now for all different sorts of things. The one thing I keep hearing is four-star restaurants are dead. This is dead. That's dead. I actually think nothing is dead. I think you get to make your own playbook a little bit more. I think there's an opening for different things. I think the pandemic caused, if you can eat outside in December, and have a meal and really love it. I mean, the fact that we had outdoor cafes all year and full all year long, our outdoor cafes were full. I mean, we had heat lamps and propane. That to me just showed you that there's so much more of an opening and people have so much more of an acceptance. There's just so much more we can do. That's Victoria Freeman. For more on our concepts, visit VixNewYork.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.